All right, I'm going to say good morning. I'm sorry for the uh, for the bit of the delayed start. Let's begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning, our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Av, Max and Brenda Lapkovsky in honor of Yitzchak Meir's upcoming Bar Mitzvah, Dr. Riva Mitzner in commemoration of the first yard site of her father, Dr. Larry Schenk, Ari Ben Chaim, Jack Bennett in honor of Sergeant Omer Taviv, who was killed by a Hamas anti-tank missile on the Gaza border on May 12th, 2021. We thank our Dafyomi sponsors, the Plunka family, in commemoration of the yard site of the Stipler Gone. Incredible. Nisham Shtafen Aliyah. Hillel and Dina Sakalov in memory of Hillel's brother, Shmayo Ben Avram Abba. Ira and Miriam Grossman in honor of the 100th birthday of Miriam's mother. Violet Howard, Mazel Tov, Paul and Kathy Pollock, actually very beautiful, belated, Hakara Satov, for the riveting and inspiring Devar Torah that uh, Rabbi Silber's my son, Avram, shared in their shul in Ava Shalom in Columbus, Ohio, while he was there for seed this past summer. And Yehudim Bracha Buchwalter, wishing a Mazel Tov to Moshe Bernstein Cohen on his first birthday. Beautiful. What, what, what an array of, uh, of sponsorships to begin the week. So also with that, let us begin. Let us begin. So today's daf is Chof Vav 26. We are picking up in Meretz Hashem on Chof Hei Ahmed Beis. A lot to do today and a lot of really fascinating Gemara and some incredible sugyas ahead of us. So we left off Om Rabbi Abba Barzav da Omer Rav. It's a 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, about 14 lines up from the bottom. So Rabbi Arbarazab says the name of Rav, that a chosan, right, a groom, shoshvinin. Shoshvinin are his attendants. Those are the individuals who are part of the immediate wedding party. So all of those individuals, all of those individuals are potter from sukkah. Again, we'll discuss why exactly that is. So the Gemara says, Kol Shiva, all seven days. Seven days, of course, a reference to Sheva Brachas. So Chasan, all of his attendants, potter from Kriyashma, all seven days. My time, what's the reason? Mishum de Baolimitri, because they have to celebrate. Because they have to celebrate, and the assumption is that the celebration can't really take place in the Sukkah. Ah, so it says the Gemara, Valech Lebesukkah, Valech Lebesukkah. I don't know, what, why not? Why can't they go ahead and eat in the Sukkah? And celebrating the sukkah, in simcha ella bechupa, because the Gemara says true simcha can only be experienced in the chupa. Now, say now this is interesting, because if you look at Tosis, Tosis, Tosis Divrei Maschal in simcha ella bechupa, you see that Tosis. So if you look at the last five lines of that Tosis, the middle of that fifth to last line, Tosis writes v'tzarach l'dakdek mahi chupa. What does that mean when the Gemara says, Ein simcha ela b'chupa? That simcha could only be experienced in chupa. What, when we think about chupa, so we think about, again, that little canopy that's in the wedding hall, right? What's, what, what, what is, says, what is the Gemara referring to? So this is incredible. Because if you think that it's talking about the actual bridal canopy, under which the chassan and kala get married, sometimes that canopy is outdoors. In fact, there is a concept like this in halacha of dafka getting married under the stars, right? Dafka getting married outside or underneath the sky, I should say, not dafka under the stars, underneath the sky. So what's the chuppah? So the Gemara says, Then you call the Gemara, it last two lines of tosis. 
Ela makom ikar yeshivas chasen vekala, bekari le chupa. Rather, the chupa refers to the primary marital residence. Velo makom asay la akrai ba'alma. Basi, listen to this. The custom is managimara, which I think it's kidai to revive this, which is, what would, where would they make the chasana? Where would they make the chasana? They would have a house for the chasana and kala. Let's say, think about this. Instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars on a wedding, on a wedding, on, on a party, so you take that money, you put a down payment on a house, right? You make the chasana there. Who's invited to the wedding? Who's invited to the wedding? Whoever can fit in a house. That's, that's, that's about it, right? That, that's, that's the guest list. That's the guest list. And that was called the chuppah. That's, thank you, say, thank you so much. That's where the wedding festivities would take place in that home. And that, of course, would become, so that's, that's the primary location for the, for the actual wedding itself, for the Sheva Brachas. And that's the Makom Simcha of the Chasen and Kala. He said, And that home is actually where they would have Sheva Brachas. So everything about from, from, the, from the actual wedding itself through Sheva Brachas would all take place inside that home. So now the Gemara makes a little bit more sense. When we say that a chasan and all of his attendants, who are the people who are the wedding party, are exempt from sukkah, that's because the primary simcha, right, the celebration of a wedding, took place in the chuppah, the chuppah being the marital home. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. So why not just go ahead and eat in the sukkah and celebrate in, and celebrate in the chuppah? In other words, you, 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 could, you could split it up. Do your eating in the sukkah, because after all it's sukkahs, right? And go ahead and do your celebrating in the marital home. Inshallah, my Yisrael. No, because the simcha of Sheva Brachas is what? Is rooted in Suda, is rooted in the meal. So you can't go ahead and divide up the meal from the simcha. So why not go ahead and just make the marital home the sukkah? In other words, if a chasen and is getting married, married right before sukkah, go ahead and make the chuppah in the sukkah. Like quite literally, let the marital home be the sukkah. Abai Mishum Yichud. Abai says because there might be a problem of Yichud. Now this is actually very interesting. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here Mishum Yichud. It's about uh, six lines from the bottom of Rashi. This Tam Sukkah Hayu Osin Begago Sehen Vein Vein Derech Bia Vietzia Shalom Rabbim. But I say people most often it's interesting. Where where did you make your Sukkah? Bismani Gimara on your roof, right? Remember again, roofs were flat, so you'd make your Sukkah on your roof, which means that your sukkah was not open to the public, right? People loved that were just stopping by because in order to access your sukkah, you had to first go through your home. So you could run into a potential issue of yichud. Yichud, remember, again, refers to the prohibition of a man to be alone with a woman. So let's say the chasen leaves the sukkah for whatever reason and someone else is there, right? People aren't regularly coming and going. You could run into a problem of yichud. Rava Amr Rava said the reason that we don't go ahead and have the chuppah ultimately again is because of the tsar that it'll cause to the chasen. What does it mean the tsar to the chasen? So Rashi points out over here that the sukkah doesn't exactly lend itself to an atmosphere of intimacy. So the newlywed couple is going to have you know, issues of intimacy if, if their marital home ultimately again is the sukkah. 
Interesting. So my ben Abbas, what's practical difference between these two reasons? Ika ben Ayo, the shrihi inshi dinafki va'ili lahasam. The nafkamina would be if you have if you have a sukkah situated in a more public space. The mandarma shumichod leka. According to the mandarma who says that you can't have the chop on the sukkah because of yichod, if people are regularly coming and going, there's no problem of yichod. But according to the opinion, it says that it won't allow for intimacy. Ultimately, again, Ika, then that reason will still apply. We'll say this intimacy piece is an actually interesting idea because this actually comes up contemporarily as well, which is there is a mitzvah to sleep in the sukkah. So interestingly enough, interestingly enough, one of the, you know, even though there's a mitzvah, there is a, we'll, we'll talk about this, a primary to, to sleep in the sukkah, there's no question that over time, the, the practice of sleeping in the sukkah has become less and less popular. <laughs> That's the, so the shayla is why. Like we do everything else in the sukkah. So it's interesting. So part of it has to do with the fact that outside of Eretz Yisrael, sukkahs could already be cold. You could be patra al-smitztair. But the archashukhan and others actually have something very interesting. They say that the whole essence of sukkah is teishu ke'in taduri. So it's to live in your sukkah like you live in your house. So when I live in my house, person lives in his house, he sleeps in the same room with his wife. Hopefully, right? That's the, that's, that's the goal, right? A person sleeps in the same room with his wife. So this is the pastos. There aren't many women, no matter how much they love their husband, that are coming out to sleep in the sukkah. So some of the posts can interestingly write that a man is not obligated to sleep without his wife in order to sleep in the sukkah. Again, it's a machlokas aposkim. Some say they are. But it's just interesting. I'm just pointing out over here that was brought up. And that's not even like a din in intimacy. It's a din just in kind of normal everyday behaviors. The sukkah is supposed to reflect my normal everyday life. So if a person's everyday life is he's a married man, he sleeps in the same room as his wife, sukkah doesn't afford that opportunity. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps there's some license then not to sleep in the sukkah. So again, we'll get to that sukkah, I'm just pointing it out over here. So I'm going to be here. Zera said, Ano, achli besukkah vechadi bechopah. Listen to this, Rabbi Zera said, when I got married, I ate my meals in the sukkah, and we celebrated, we had the celebration in the chuppah. I will say, this is so beautiful. And Rabbi Zera said, I was so happy, I was so happy, because I had the opportunity to perform both mitzvahs. I had the opportunity to perform the mitzvah of sukkah, and I had the opportunity to go ahead and also have sheva brachas. So I will say, what is the halacha in this circumstance? What is the obligation of chasan? So interestingly enough, the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch in Simin Tov Reish Mem, Sif Vav, says as follows, Chasan v'shoshvina v'chol b'nei Chasan, his wedding party, everybody's part, primary part of the chopah, Piturin min ha-sukah kol zayin gimei mishta, is exempt from sukah, all of Shabbat all of Shabbat So the Mishtabura comments on this a little bit. He says, he says, De'in simcha, Again, Mishnabura quotes it. Why? Because in Simcha Ella Bechopa, and the Chopa is considered to be the primary residence of, of the Chasan and Kala. Now, the question, we're not going to get into it today, but the question, of course, becomes that Halacha Lamaisa, what do you do about this today, given the fact that we don't have the same setup? 
right? We don't have this type of chuppah that the Gemara is referring to over here, where they get married in one place, all of the shabbat In fact, again, I, I think it's rare that shabbat are made in the apartment of the chassan and kala, right? So nothing really happens in the marital domicile. So this leads the Mishtabura to say as follows, the yesh mechaiben also. Some say the chassan is obligated in sukkah, Listen to this. This is incredible. So the Mishnah Buddha says, therefore, I think, I think that the best approach is a chasan should be in the sukkah even during a shavarachas. Should be in the sukkah during a shavarachas. Right? Why? Because he could go ahead and have simcha in the chuppah and go ahead and have his meals in the sukkah. But ultimately, again, Mr. Bruce says he shouldn't make a bracha. This is incredible. So Chassan should come to the sukkah, but he shouldn't make a bracha. And I will say, again, in those circumstances, Chassan wouldn't sleep in the sukkah. Chassan wouldn't sleep in the sukkah. But ultimately, again, Chassan should be eating in the sukkah like the Pesach of the Mishnah Bura. Okay, interesting sukkah. Again, more to all of these sukkahs than what we're covering, but at least it gives you a little bit of a, a, little bit of a flavor. Tan Rabbanon, last two lines. Chassan v'ashal shin v'chol b'neichol b'tromin Listen to this, we'll say, now that we started talking about Chassan, let's go right there with the Chassan. Chassan and all of his attendants and all of his and all the people part of the chuppah, Peturim and Atfila are exempt from Shmona Esrei, Minat Tfilin and Tfilin, Vechayavim Mikriyashma, and they're obligated in Shema. They both say, now listen to this. Why are they part there from Tfila? So Rashi says over here, because Tfila requires Kavano. And the assumption, like we saw in yesterday's daf, that the Chassan's mind is preoccupied. Tfilin, why is the Chassan and all of his attendants part there from Tfilin? Uh, because, because by the wedding, by the wedding party, people drink a lot. And again, you're not supposed to wear tefillin while under the influence. So again, they're all potter from Shmona Esrei because at the end of the day, Shmona Esrei requires kavana and they're involved in celebration, not allowed to wear tefillin or potter from tefillin because of Shechro's drunkenness. However, they're a chayv in Shema. Now, why the chayv in Shema? Rashi points out over here because really the only part of Shema that absolutely requires kavana is the first line. So the assumption is that for that one line, they could muster up requisite kavana even in the midst of celebration. Tap of chav vav, Mishum Rabbi Shila Amru, name of Rabbi Shila, they said, Chasan Pater Vahashoshrinan Vechobene Achopa Chayobin. Rabbi Shila disagrees, he holds that a Chasan is Pater even from the first Pasuk of Kriya Shema. Everyone else is going to be Chayv in Shema, like we said before, but the Chasan is Pater from Shema because we assume that the Chasan is preoccupied and therefore again can't muster up the requisite Kavana even for the first line. Tanya, Amrabi Chanina, Amrabi Chanat, both say, just you should know, Contemporarily, contemporarily, the way we kind of look at a lot of these things, like the Mishtabura says, pretty. I mean, it's it's actually a very sad statement. It's a pretty sad statement, but the Mishtabura says today no one has kavana anyway. So because no one has kavana anyway, just daven, just daven. So again, it's a sad statement, but halachalamais a lot of these exemptions that we're talking about don't really apply contemporarily. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara goes right there. Tanya Amrabi Chananya ben Akavya. Kos ve'svarim tefillin umezuzos. Those who write Sifrei Torah. Or again, Sfarim doesn't just have to mean Sifrei Torah. Sfarim could also mean, um, remember all of, their, all of their books 
were written in scroll form. So you wanted a chumashim, right? You wanted a chumash bereshis, it was in a scroll form. So whoever's writing those scrolls, mirait svarim, tefillin, mezuzos, heim, visagrehen, visagre sagrehen. So them, the people, so the sofrim, the merchants, the people who sell it, the kol ha'oskim emalecha shamayim, and anyone who is involved in the supply of religious articles, la'asuye mochrei t'cheles, to include those who go ahead and sell t'cheles, pitur mikriyashma. Ultimately, again, they are all potter from shma, u'minat t'filah, shmona esrei, minat t'filin, u'mikol mitzvah ha'amuros b'torah. And from every other mitzvah as well. L'kayim div rav yosek, l'idish rav yosek, l'omer, ha'osek b'mitzvah, potter min ha'mitzvah. This reflects the Rabbi Yosef Lili who says that one who is engaged in a mitzvah is what? Is what? Patra mitzvah. Now what is the dramatic, overwhelming, life-altering chedish in this? This is very different. Are these guys, these guys, are these individuals osik ba mitzvah? No. What are they doing? Right? They're facilitating. They are facilitators of other people's mitzvahs, right? We'll say, again, remember, is there a mitzvah to try to say for Torah? Sure, if it's your own, right? In other words, there's no mitzvah, there's no mitzvah in the Torah to try to say for Torah to sell. There's no mitzvah, to, there's a mitzvah to put tcheles on your, on, your, on your tzitzis. There's no mitzvah to catch the chilazon to go in and process the dye to sell. That's called business. That's called business. And obviously, business in religious needs. But we've just done a, something overwhelmingly dramatic, which has expanded the scope of Osik Bamitzvah, Pater Mitzvah, Mitzvah, to include not only those, we'll say, look at the multiple levels. So now we have those who are actively engaged in the performance of a mitzvah. From Chassan, we learned that what? If you're preoccupied with the thought of a future mitzvah. And now what we see is if you are a facilitator, for other people's spiritual growth, you are a facilitator for other people's mitzvahs, that's also Ptor, which is pretty incredible, and also an incredible Moser Haskil, about how important it is in life, not only to focus on your own growth, but to make sure to be a facilitator in the growth of others, which is an incredible and overwhelming, you so, say, you know, the Nitziv writes by Avram Avinu, and the Kodesh Baruch Hu tells Avram that you're going to be a Av Hamon Goyim, a father of a multitude of nations. So the Nitziv writes, really? Did that ever happen? Was that, did Amram Avinu become a father of a multitude of nations? The Pashtus, the answer is, no. <laughs> no, he didn't become a father of a multitude of nations. What are you talking about? He's right. So the Nitziv says, well, think about it this way. Amram Avinu is the patriarchal figure in all of the major faiths. Right? In all of the major, not in every faith, all the major faiths. So Avram Avinu's influence, right? Avram Avinu was a facilitator in general spirituality in the world. And sometimes, again, being the facilitator of other people's spiritual growth is in and of itself a dramatic thing. So therefore, again, if you're writing Svarim, you're writing Tfilin, you're making Trelas, you are facilitating growth. As well say, such an incredible Yisod. Because part of our own personal avoda is to encourage and to inspire growth in other people. If all I do is build me, there's a, something lacking in my ruchnius. But if I build me and I simultaneously go ahead and help others in whatever way that I can also build themselves, that's shleimus. That's called, you see from Chazal, 
that's called, facilitating growth in others, is called osek b'mitzvah. Tan Rabbanon, holchei drachim b'yom, p'tura min ha-sukkah, but say next case. Those who go ahead and are traveling to do a mitzvah by day. So in this case, again, if you look at Rashi, holchei drachim b'yom, p'tura min ha-sukkah, b'yom. Look at Rashi. Listen to this. If you are traveling by day, you're part of from Sukkah. You're part of Sukkah. They will say, now, what's the Chiddush in this statement? See, a person might have thought like this. A person might have thought, look, it's the Yom of Sukkot. I have an obligation to go ahead and be in a Sukkah. If I travel, if I travel, whatever the traveling is, I'm going to miss out on go, staying in the sukkah, right? Or I'm going to, I may even have to eat outside of the sukkah because I'm not going to have an available sukkah to which the Gemara says, you can go, you can go. You could travel by day, even if you're going to be without the sukkah, you're part of from sukkah. Now, why is it, Abu Say? Because Rashi says, the sukkah experience mirrors the home experience. Does a person sit at home all day? I mean, the truth is, before the pandemic, right? Did people sit at home all day? No, you got up, you went to work, you have to, you have to go about the day. So it's normal to go ahead and leave the house. So because it's normal to leave the house, even though you're not going to have access to your home, it's normal to go ahead and leave the sukkah as well. And you can leave the sukkah, you'll be part of from the sukkah by day. Those who are traveling by night, who'll be part of from the sukkah at night, by chayiv by day. The Gemara says, "Bein bayom, bein balayla." If you're traveling by day and by night, p'turam in asukah, bein bein balayla. Good. Holchin ledvar mitzvah. If a person is going traveling for a dvar mitzvah, a dvar mitzvah. So now, again, I will say, a person is on a mitzvah mission, whatever that might be. P'turin bayom, p'turin bein bayom, bein balayla. We'll say now. Here's what's interesting. If you're traveling for your own purposes, right? Your own purposes. Your pater from sukkah when? When? During the period of travel. Which, which makes sense because the sukkah is like my home. Just like I leave my home for certain needs, I'm permitted to leave my sukkah for certain needs as well. The difference is that when you're traveling for dvar mitzvah, you're pater the entire time. Right? You're pater the entire time. Bein bayom, bein balayla. Kiyad rav chista, v'ra'a like for example, Rav Chisna when they would go for Shabbos of Yom Tishah Shabbos Cholamayit, Shabbos of Sukkis, to the house of the Reish Kalusa, Havugani Araksa the Sura, they would sleep on the river bank by Sura, not in a Sukkah. Ami Anon Shluche Mitzvah Anon Upturin, because they would say we are Shluche Mitzvah, we are on a Mitzvah mission. And therefore, we are potter from Sukkah. What was the mitzvah mission they were on? They were going to visit their Rebbe, the Reish Kalusa. And therefore, again, they were exempt from Sukkah. Tan Rabbanon, Shomri Ha'ir Bayom, Petrumina Sukkah. City watchmen, city watchmen by day are exempt from Sukkah. In other words, I should say, daytime city watchmen. Right? They're, they have a daytime shift. During the daytime shift, ultimately, again, they are... They are potter from Sukkah. So, v'chayavim balayla, but they're obligated at night. Shom Ushavosa makes sense. Remember, you can't be much of a watchman if what? If what? If you have to remain in the Sukkah. So therefore, in order to do their job, they have to be out of the Sukkah. No problem. So to do your job, if, if, if your job precludes you from being in the Sukkah, you 
Pata from Sukkah by day, but Chayyab Benad. Especially if you're a watchman, you're providing for the security of the residents of the city. Shomriya Ir Balayla, if you have the night shift, right, at night, right, the night shift. Petura Mina Sukkah Balayla, you're exempt from Sukkah at night. Vechayavim Bayom, and you're obligated by day. Shomriya Ir Bemiyom Bemalayla, if you're a watchman, and your, your shift is day and night, you're exempt from sukkah by day and by night. So I will say again, there there's an individual who is providing ultimately a, a, a critical security service. So such a person is going to be exempt from sukkah whenever their security services are required. Shomre ganos upardesim. But say, what about someone who watches a field? So this individual is in charge of guarding the produce in a field. Piturin bein bayom ubein balayla. He is potter. By day and by night. Why doesn't the watchman just make a sukkah in the field and just sit in the sukkah in the field? Because Abayi said ultimately again that said the sukkah, the sukkah has to go ahead and mirror your home. Meaning what? That the utensils that you would normally use in your home, you would use in your sukkah. No one schlepping those utensils, your bed or other things like that, into the field. So because you can't make a sukkah in the field that would resemble your actual domicile, you're obligated, you're, you're, are exempt from doing so. Rava Amarava says there's a different reason. Pirza Korolaganov, which literally means that it's, it's an expression. A breach in the wall calls out to the thief. In other words, that when a thief sees a weakness or an area to exploit, he does so. I will say, which means like this. If the, if the field watchman is sitting in a hut, the hut is closed on three sides, which then what? Which then, get, which then prevents the watchman from having visibility on three sides. Any watchman who is blind on three sides is inviting the thief to cause havoc. My benayu to come into karyeh depiri. What's there will be the nafkamina between these two approaches? If all you're guarding is one pile of fruit right in front of you. Say if it's an issue of a blind side for the ganav. So okay, as long as the fruit is in front of you, you're good to go. If at the end of the day you're patra because teshu ke intaduru, because in the field you can't create a sukkah that resembles your home, then Allah chalamaisi, even if it's only one pile of fruit, you would still be exempt from doing so. So I say, what you begin to see over here is a little bit of a broadening of the exemption. Up until now, we've been speaking about an exemption from sukkah because one is involved in a mitzvah. Now what we've begun to see is an exemption of sukkah from sukkah because of activities of daily living. That remember again, pretty much anything that you would be normally doing on a regular day anyway, which would prevent you from being in your home if it prevents you from being in your sukkah, you're potter. So if your job takes you away from sukkah, you're potter from sukkah. If ultimately, again, you're in that, that, you see all the examples. So we're broadening now that not only is there an exemption from sukkah because of mitzvah, but there may be an exemption from sukkah because of activities of daily living as well. Pretty amazing. So the Gemara goes right to So furthermore, again, people who are ill, and their attendants are also exempt from sukkah. Tanra banan cholish amrulo cholish yishbo sakana. The cholish that we're talking about who's exempt from sukkah is not a cholish yishbo sakana, not someone who is dangerously ill, right? Or deathly ill. But obviously, such a person like that is, is exempt from sukkah. Ela afilu cholish yishbo sakana. Even if you have a cholish who's not in mortal danger, afilu chash be'inav. Even if his eyes hurt him, even if he just has a headache. See, I will say, what's the logic over here? The logic over here is that halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa. 
Sukkah resembles Yom. We'll say, if you were sitting in your house and there was a room with a draft and you had a headache and the draft was bothering you, assuming, let's say, you couldn't get rid of the draft, what would you do? What would you do? You'd find another room. So, so and, was, and again, I would do that even for the slightest amount of discomfort. So the sukkah kind of resembles the same idea what the Gemara is saying is, if I'm not feeling well, it doesn't have to be something dramatic. I have a terrible headache, and it's bothering me to be in the sukkah. Otherwise, but say, remember, this presupposes that being in the sukkah bothers me more than if, if I were in the house. So under those circumstances, I could transplant myself back into my house. It doesn't have to be dramatic illness. One time, my eyes were bothering me. I was in Kisario. Rabbi allowed me and my attendants to sleep inside the house. So even for a mere headache, even for a mere hour, or an eye ache, ultimately, again, you're permitted to relocate. Rav Sharler of Acha Bardala, the Migna Bikilsa Besuka, Mishumbake. Well, say this is a great case. Rav allowed Rav Acha Bardala to sleep under a canopy. Because of mosquitoes. <laughs> now, this is a halacha lamaisa case, right? So, again, because of mosquitoes, he allowed us all say, by the way, this is actually a very shaykh case. Let's say a person, let's say there's a mosquito issue and a person is very susceptible, or sometimes a person is allergic, right? So, ultimately, again, that would be reason to be able to locate inside of the home. Now, here I will say just the use of the canopy. Remember, again, going back, we, we, we spent a lot of time on canopies, the sugi of canopies. So this could either mean that, in this case, the canopy has the status of a tent, yet he was still allowed to go ahead and go under a tent, even though being in a tent precludes you from being in the midst of sukkah, or perhaps this was the type of canopy that wasn't really an ohel. Whatever it is, the point the Gemara is making over here is that halacha la even for an insect discomfort, one could potentially relocate from the sukkah. Rava, Rava Charlotte of Acha bar bar Ada le Migna bar Metaltalasa Mishum Sircha de Gargishta. Rava la Rabbi Acha to go ahead and go sleep inside because apparently on the floor of his sukkah they had put down white sand. White sand. And apparently this white sand had some type of odor. In other words, he was bothered by an odor in the sukkah. Now, again, it's point out that it's possible this odor only bothered Rabbi Acha. In other words, it, was, it wasn't such a pungent odor. But it, Rabbi Acha was very sensitive to, to smell. And therefore, again, he was permitted to go inside of the sukkah because the smell was difficult for him. Inside of the home, sorry. Rava Latame Dama Rava Mitzta'er Patra Minasukkah. And I will say, Rava allowed all of these individuals to relocate for one simple reason. Mitzta'er Patr Minasukkah. If you are in discomfort... You are potter from sukkah. I will say again, remember going back to yesterday's daf, a very important caveat to this, which is, where must your discomfort emanate from? Where must it emanate from? From the sukkah, right? In other words, that if my discomfort is related to something other than sukkah, then Allah said, but if my, if my discomfort is either, well, I should, I should qualify that also. If my discomfort is either from the sukkah itself, like the case you saw in the, in the foul-smelling white sand, or my discomfort is exacerbated by sukkah. I have a headache and it hurts more to be outdoors. The mosquitoes, right? So again, then you're pata from sukkah. An incredible use sword. I but the Mishnah just said that someone who is ill is pata from sukkah. So from the Mishra of the Mashmaos, it's Achola, someone who's ill is pater, but a mitzvah, someone who's in discomfort, how do you know that such a person is? 
potter, to which the Gemara says, Omri, Chole hu umesham shav peturin, Mitzta'er hu potter, Omesham shav lo. Boss, this is very interesting. Here's the distinction. By a chole, by someone who is ill, not only is the chole himself ill, but anyone who attends to him is potter as well. Right? So by a chole, the chole is potter, and his care team, right? whoever is part of his care team, is potter as well. By mitzta'er, right? So I'll say, mitzta'er is just someone who's uncomfortable. By mitzta'er, so the mitzta'er himself, or, or it doesn't apply to him because woman is potter anyway. By mitzta'er, the mitzta'er is potter, but what? But what? There's no care team. Right? There's no like, oh, you know, I have, I have so much empathy that I feel, you know, Ruven has such a bad headache. I feel his headache as if it was my own. Let's go inside together. Uh, that, 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 that doesn't work, right? So again, so by, by, by Chola, it's even the care team. By Mitzta'er, it's only the Mitzta'er himself. We're going to get some really, really fascinating So we go ahead and you can eat Achilas Arai. Now, Arai normally means temporary. Right, so what does it mean? You can eat achilas aray outside of the sukkah. The kama achilas aray. How much is aray? Amrav Yosef tartiotlas bei. It's the amount of two or three eggs. Sometimes people eat that amount for a meal. Right, the volume of two or three eggs. How are you calling that achilas aray? Rather, Abaye says that what? It's the amount ultimately again that a Tamut Chacham eats before someone, someone in yeshiva eats before he goes off to the base medrash. Now, both say, what does this mean? If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Sometimes before a guy goes off to yeshiva, what happens? He's nervous that the shear is going to go on too long. It's an age-old problem, right? The shear is going to go on too long. He's going to get hungry. So what does he do? He eats just a little something just before he goes, right? This way, again, his stomach is not growling if shear goes on. That's called achilas harai. Now, it's interesting because Rashi explains, or Rashi does not, v'toim male piv. It's enough food. So essentially, it's a mouthful of food. It's a mouthful of food, right? So a mouthful of food is called achilas harai. Amr Abbas, the Gemara says, turn on on. Ochlin, you could go ahead and eat an achilas outside of the sukkah. But you cannot sleep a shinas aray outside of the sukkah. So, say, so let's just use vernacular terms. So for example, you can eat a snack outside of the sukkah. Now we're going to have to define this because this is a big sugya in Hilchos sukkah. So you can eat a snack outside of the sukkah, but you can't take a nap outside of the sukkah. Right? So again, remember, normal, normally, you have to eat and you have to sleep inside of the sukkah. So the exception is you can eat a little, a little bit, and achilas arai, we'll define what that is, but you can't take a little sleep, right? There's, you can't take a little nap, a nap outside of the sukkah. My time, Ravashi, very simply, because we're concerned that if we allow you to nap, we'll say many naps begin as a nap and then turn into something much more significant. So we're concerned that if we allow you to take a little nap in the, outside of the sukkah, it's going to turn into a full-blown sleep. I, but we learn that a person is allowed to take a nap in his tefillin, but he's not allowed to sleep a regular sleep in his tefillin. How are you allowed to nap? How are you allowed to doze in your tefillin? After all, maybe you'll fall fully asleep. 
Because what's the case? When are, you allowed, when are you allowed to nap in your tefillin? When you have someone else who's there who's going to wake you up. So you, you tell your friend, listen, I'm going to take it. But this is also presupposed people are wearing tefillin the entire day. Right? So you want to tell your friend, I'm going to, I'm going to close my eyes for a few minutes, nap for a few minutes. Do me a favor. If you see me slipping into a deeper sleep, right? Go ahead and wake me up. I have one second. What's to say your friend's not going to fall asleep? Literally, the guarantor of your guarantor, right? Your guarantor needs a guarantor. Maybe your friend's going to fall asleep also. This is how you taking a nap, essentially in the crash position, right? You put your head between your knees, which is a very uncomfortable position. So therefore, again, you're not going to really fall asleep like that. Okay, and that's how you can nap with tefillin because we're pretty sure in that circumstance you're not going to fall asleep. Rava Amar, Ein Keva Lashina. Rava said sleep is sleep is sleep and really you can't sleep at all, you can't sleep at all outside of the sukkah. Rashi says over here, Rava Amar, L'Shema Yeradin Lo Chayshina, Hilcha Petfilin Shari, so Rava says, really, you're just not allowed to sleep at all outside of the sukkah. So we're going to point out we have three conflicting statements. One Brisa says, or one Mishnah says, the one wearing your tefillin, you can take a nap, but you can't take a, a full, you can't get engaged in full-blown sleep. Another Brisa says, "Ben keva ben arai." You can go ahead and sleep either keva or arai. lo keva arai. And the third Brisa says, "You can't sleep keva or arai." So we'll say three different Brises. Brisa number one, you can sleep. You can sleep arai, but not keva. Brisa number two, you can sleep keva or arai. Brisa number three, you can't sleep keva or arai. Look, Ashley, says not a contradiction. Last two lines. One Bryce is talking about where you're holding your tefillin. We'll say if you're holding your tefillin in your hand, not wearing it, holding it in your hand, you can't sleep arai or keva. Why not? What are we concerned about? Dropping it. Dropping it. One is talking about where you're wearing your tefillin. If you're wearing your tefillin, you could sleep. You could, you could take a nap. You could take a nap. But ultimately, again, you're not permitted to fall into a... You're not allowed to fall into a full-blown sleep. Now, Rashi says over here, what's the reason for this? It's actually a concern of flatulence. It's a concern that when a person is asleep, they don't have the same level of control over their bodily functions. And ultimately, again, a person, a person may do things that are disparaging to the sanctity of the tzillin. And lastly, Hadiparas Sudra Iluya. The last case is where ultimately, again, you're not wearing your tefillin. You place the sheet over the tefillin. In that case, you can sleep however you want. Shinas arai, shinas keva, not a problem. Just by the way, the Gemara says, How much is a nap? Right? Well, what, what is a shinas arai? That's the definition. That's the amount of time it takes to walk. A hundred amas. That supports this. If a person is wearing tefillin and has a seminal emission, so again, I will say a person has to remove the tefillin. So the Gemara says, Rashi says over here, He has to remove the tefillin immediately. So what does he do? Rabbi Yaakov says in that case, a person should not touch the bias directly. Instead, what a person does is he takes the ritsua, the strap, and removes the, removes the bias 
with the strap. So therefore, there's no direct contact with the tefillin itself. But you have to understand something. A lot of these halachas are much more shayach when you're wearing tefillin the entire day, right? So remember again, for us sometimes we hear these things, we're wearing tefillin for again, for a couple of minutes in the morning. But when you're wearing it the whole day, these cases become a bit more shayach. So the chum, the chum say, yashin adab betfilin shinas aray, avalo shinas keva. The chachamim say a person could even take a nap in his tefillin, but not the shinas keva. Not the real sleep. The kama shinas aray, and how much is a nap? Once again, you have that sheer, the amount of time it takes to walk, 100 amas. Amarav, Rav says, Interesting, was another halacha. During the day, a person is not permitted to sleep more than a horse sleeps. How much does a horse sleep? The kamashinas hasus, shisin nishmi, 60 breaths, 60 breaths. Now, we'll say, take a look at Rashi in just a moment. Before we get into the shear, why, why, why is there a cap on how long you could sleep during the day? So Rashi says, Bayom mipnei bitl Torah. Bitl Torah. We'll say, this is such an incredible yisod. And I, I'll, just, I'll just mention it here. It's so incredibly important. We'll say, especially, you know, you know this, especially, on, again, during the week, this is not so shayach. But on Shabbos, on Shabbos, so sometimes you hear people say, oh, such a great Shabbos, I slept for four and a half hours. Let's say four and a half hours is a, is a night's sleep. That, that's not a nap, right? That's a night's sleep. Let's say it's such an incredible yisod, especially on Shabbos Kodesh, which is the one day that we have that is away from everything else, right? Away from the world. Of course, Shina B'Shabbos Tainuk. Sleeping on Shabbos is part of the Mitzvah Onik Shabbos and important, but it's so important that the nap does not become the dominant feature of the day. And a person, Rashi says over here, Chazal said, there's a, you could take a nap, but there's a cap on how much you should sleep by day. Because at a certain point in time, this is incredible, at a certain point in time, even a nap becomes Bethel Torah. It's, it's a pretty incredible yisod about the achrayis the Jew has to accomplish things in life. At a certain point in time, even the nap becomes Bittal Torah. So I will say, this sheer of Shisen Nishman, of 60 breaths, is actually really quite, quite interesting. Quite interesting. So there's a, um, we're going we're gonna to do the Berhalacha tomorrow, because I don't have time to get into it today. But the Berhalacha has a whole discussion about this, about what this sheer is. I don't, first of all, Again, I'm assuming that no one here is an expert in horse respiration, right? But, but, but Lamaisa, like, what, what is that? It can't just mean 60 breaths, like, like we would take 60 breaths, because you could take 60 breaths in, I don't know, uh, I don't know, two minutes, right? Less than two minutes, right? So, so again, so we'll, we'll see exactly what the shear is. The point to take away for now is that there's a cap on daytime sleeping, because then it becomes Bittal Torah. Omar Abaye, Shansay Demar Kidirav, so Abaye said, my Rebbe, Rabbi Bar Nachmani, he only slept like, like Rav. Udi Rav kid Rebbe. Rav only slept during the day like, as much as Rebbe. Udi Rebbe kid David. And Rebbe only slept during the day as much as David HaMelech. David HaMelech. How much David? David kid Susie. David HaMelech never slept more than a horse. Now both say, the truth is, the Gemara Masechus Brachus says, David HaMelech never slept at night more than the horse. Right, this, David, David Amalek was very mad to minimize his sleep at night. So I just want to point out, we just transitioned here for a moment because the Gemara was talking about the cap on the amount of sleep by day. Now the Gemara just points out David Amalek 
did not sleep more than Shisen Nishmin, 60 horse respirations at night. And a horse doesn't sleep more than 60 breaths. Abai would only sleep for the amount of time that it would take to walk from Pompadisa to Beikubi. Which, which, which seems to be a kind of a significant journey. So Amakari Ali Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef used to say about him, Ad Masay Atzal Tishkav, Masay Taka Mishnah Secha. So I will say, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef would kind of give Musr to, to, not kind of, would give, would give Musr to Abai, according to the Apostle from Mishlei, Ad Masay Atzal Tishkav, how long will the lazy person sleep? When will you get up? From your, when will you get up from your sleep? So Rav Yosef is giving him Musr, no one needs to sleep that long, right? Why do you spend so much time sleeping? Tell Rabbanon, Hanichnas Lishan Bayom, Ratzacholitz Ratzamaniach. So if a person goes to sleep by day, if he wants to go ahead and take his tefillin off or leave them on, he has the right to do so. Now Rashi says over here, Hanichnas Lishan, Shein Kavanos Ela Lishan, Ve'eno Mahar Her Ledavar Acher. So we'll say, now this is very interesting because up until now we were assuming that if a person has intention to even engage in a longer period of sleep, even by day, halach you can't do that with tefillin on, right? Only thing you can do with tefillin on is maybe t- is doze, is nap. This price seems to indicate that a person could even potentially go ahead and fully go to sleep by day. But halach But at night, at night, halach you can't wear tefillin if you decide to go to sleep. In other words, even if your intention, Rashi points out over here, even if your intention at night is only to doze, only to take a nap, you cannot doze at night wearing your tefillin. And the logic of this price is what? Because at night, it's much easier for what? For what? For a nap to turn into a full night's sleep. By day, we're not as concerned. By day, people don't engage in a full, people don't usually engage in a full night's sleep by day. So if your intention is just to take a nap, we trust that that's going to remain your intention. So Rabbi Yossi Omer, you know what to say, we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up Amir Tashem with Rabbi Yossi. I'm sorry we didn't, it was a long daf on the front end, but Amir Tashem will make up, uh, we'll make up some, some time yet yeah, tomorrow. We'll finish a sugi of Tulin Amir Tashem tomorrow.